0: Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, it's jam-packed. We're going to discuss the world's first 4-nanometer sock, and guess what? It isn't made by Apple, it's not made by Qualcomm or Samsung, however... Some news dropped today about Qualcomm that we just have to cover as well in this episode, fresh off the press, headline, breaking news, all that stuff to get your attention happening in this episode. Then we head to Camera Corner where Wendy will discuss tripod heads for photography. So sit back, relax, plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? I have been doing a couple things related to hardware, and
1: yes, yes, I did say I have been doing hardware things, so I decided to update my BIOS because, uh, Ryan... Uh, yelled at me and told me I should. So uh, I updated it, and I now have the latest uh, Flash BIOS for my motherboard, and this was uh, the first update I've done in two years.
0: What was the year your BIOS was set to, by the way, before you updated
1: it? It was 2019. It was mid-2019, somewhere on there. So it's been over two years since I've uh, touched it, but it wasn't really like messed up or anything, but the reason I wanted to update it is because I ordered some new RAM to put in my desktop. So I'm excited that I am getting a 64 gig RAM to put into the desktop. And just real quick, people are expecting me to get the box and you know, all that stuff. And it take a week or two, maybe a couple months to get it all done. But I just want to let you know it arrived today and is already in the machine. Whoa. Who is this, right. Michael? Right. I might not be a Padawan anymore. No, you're still Ryan, Padawan. Ryan,
2: are you there? Did you open it and put it in for him?
0: You would no, think, no, was, I, but I didn't. All my no. own. all my own. Now, he did message me a lot on how to do it, but- That's true. <laughs> it's still- <laughs> But he got it done. He did this. Well, there's a reason why, though. Michael had in his machine, which I think is interesting, he had two pairs of RAM that were completely different from one another. Mm-hmm. and that's okay. You can do that. It's not recommended, but you can do it. Uh, the The issue is that the timing of the RAM, not just the timing, but the speed of the RAM, was set to the absolute minimum of the pair of RAM, the least performant RAM in there. So if you had RAM, say, at 3200, and then you had another one at 2800, and then it's gonna run all your RAM at 2800. His was running extraordinarily low, like DDR3 levels low, even though it was DDR4 RAM in this mismatched pair that he had. So we went mm-hmm. ahead and I sent him a really nice set to pick up of memory that works perfectly with AMD Ryzen. We'll have it linked in the show notes if anybody wants to pick it up as well, but 64 gigabytes of it, which will help him tremendously with some of the work that he's been doing in production for the Destination Linux podcast. There's a video element to that. There's all, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into Destination Linux that's unlike any other podcast that is done out there from a video perspective and transition mm-hmm. perspective and real time effects perspective and all this. So he needs that power, and has been having issues where applications would crash randomly and that type of stuff and. We're hoping this is step one starting to fix some of those issues yeah
1: i hope that i don't have to do much else to fix these issues that would be fantastic i don't have that expectation but i am glad that i'm doing at least step one uh, because there are a lot of complicated approaches to the uh, live switching that i do in obs and i've even had it where the ram in the cpu couldn't take it so the obs would itself would crash and other things would crash you know last last week we had another crash so it was it was time to upgrade and i didn't realize that my ram was doing that lower thing so for those who are curious it was 1067 pretty sure that was the thing and i did test it before coming on here just to let you know so to make sure that I have covered all bases. Now, I know it's not been optimized yet because it probably can go higher, but right now it's
0: 2133. That's definitely a step up. That's double what you had before, but yeah, you definitely need to optimize that and kick that up even further. But you're headed in the right direction because that RAM was rated at... I'm pretty sure
1: it was 3600 because it says DDR4 3600 on the product. And I assume that somehow is related.
0: Yes. Okay. So it's 3,600. Now you do have an older motherboard as well that we have to contend with. So we not may not be able to get the full speed out of there, but we're getting closer to getting you a real machine getting you out of this Padawan world, which I'm excited about. <laughs> um, but you could definitely go into the BIOS and start upping that RAM in the megahertz. Uh, you don't have to go to the full 3,600, but you could certainly uh, try it and see what your stability is. And worst thing to happen is just go back into your BIOS and Post it down if it becomes unstable.
1: Cool. Then I will try that after the show.
0: Wendy, what have you been up to?
2: I finally settled on a phone and bought one on Friday. So I've been using it now for a few days. This is based on record time, not launch time. So by the time you guys hear this, I'll have had the phone in my hands for a week I ended up settling on the OnePlus 9, not the Pro, and it really came down to a lot of reviews that I had watched, listened to, and there was a lot of them that were saying that, yes, there's some really awesome stuff in the Pro, but it's not really worth that price jump between the two. And as I was looking them over, I was really good with what was being offered in the OnePlus 9. And the other advantage of going this route is they were on sale. I've been watching the phones that I was interested in here for the last month, looking at the prices, kind of keeping a steady watch on them because I wanted to grab them when they hit that lowest price available.
0: So this phone has 120 hertz refresh rate on it at a 6.55 inch screen, have you noticed a difference because the phone you're coming from did not have 120 hertz, have you noticed any difference in between the two screens?
2: It is so smooth, but I have to say that there's so many other differences between the two phones that I don't know how much of it is the refresh rate, which I'm sure there's quite a bit of it is. But at the same time, I'm also going from a Qualcomm Snapdragon 675 to a 888.
0: That's a massive jump.
2: Yes, massive jump when it comes to chipset. So that definitely has to have an effect on how speedy, how snappy some of the things have been. And then as far as GPU goes, I'm going from an Adrenos 612 to a 660. Major jumps when it comes to the core hardware.
0: Are you a gamer at all on your cell phone? Is that something that you do with your phone or is it not something you game with?
2: I never game on my phone. Okay, I take that back. I have gamed on my phone in the past. It's usually Solitaire or Farkle. That's as far as I go when it comes to playing games on my phone. I'm not going to really use this refresh rate when it comes to gaming. I have watched videos and that sort of thing. on And like I said, the video quality has been incredibly smooth. As far as pixel density, it's pretty much the same. The screen ratio is pretty dang close. Size wise, I'm really not having any difference between the device I'm coming from, which is a Moto Z4. But there's other things like we talked about the refresh rate that jumped up, the chipset that jumped up, the GPU that jumped up, those different things so far have made for a really nice experience with it. I do miss my headphone jack. I miss it a lot. But already bought a dongle, and I'm already having to return a dongle. The one that I ordered, it showed up, and it's not working properly, so it would either charge or play stuff through the headphone jack, but it wouldn't do both. Ugh. I've talked about it before, I use my phone all the time, especially when I'm sleeping, I'll pop in a audiobook or something to help me fall back asleep if I can't. And missing that has been a problem, so I've had to take one of our old phones and use it as an audiobook help Wendy sleep phone. Getting that figured out is definitely going to be an issue. I'm also frustrated expandable storage is gone. It would be so nice to still have that. I don't understand why it's gone. My last phone, you had your micro SD in the same slot as your SIM card. Why can't that still be there? It has nothing to do with making sure that the phone is more waterproof or whatnot. It could still be in the same tray. Overall, I think it's been a really good upgrade. I'm excited to play with it some more, see what the changes additionally are as time goes on. This one does have a very easy to unlock bootloader. And now that I've decided that, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm keeping it, that is one thing that will be done to it. It also has a hardware switch that at the time buying it, I wasn't aware of, where it can change from ring with sound to vibrate only or completely silent where there's no sound and no vibrate, which is kind of awesome to have on a hardware switch. Mine is always on silent because of my smartwatch, it kind of handles those notifications and the like where I don't have volume on on my phone, but Magneto will really enjoy this hardware switch feature as long as it doesn't break for him. We'll see how long that lasts, but I'm not the only one with new hardware. Ryan, you have some too.
0: So the hardware that I have supports a current laptop that I'm in love with. You've heard me talk about the HP Dragonfly Elite laptop. This is super portable. It's one of my favorite laptops to bring around because of its ultra small, ultra thin size, it's lightweight, you can take it anywhere. And I had some vacation days and wanted to do some writing. And so I'm sitting downstairs on the couch and I realize that as I'm typing out the notes, I think I was writing this show or Destination Linux, all of a sudden the laptop just started feeling really, really hot. And that's because I have a big cushy couch And all of the fans are, of course, trying to get the heat out of the bottom of the laptop, and it's going directly into this very cushiony cushion of my couch. And so that's not really helping with the heat dissipation. So what I decided to go ahead and order is a product that I'll have linked in the show notes called an above-tech portable laptop lap desk. Now, what this does, of course, is it creates some elevation off of the couch cushion, but more importantly, it's as small and portable as the laptop itself. Because what I don't want to do is carry around a giant lap desk or something like that, or have another piece of furniture sitting in the living room. I want to be able to rest my laptop right on that cushion of the chair and be able to get to work without the laptop overheating. So this is just a really cool option if you're on a bed or sofa or couch. And it's one of the only ones that I saw that didn't have legs and all these other things. It's just got a nice silicon top Uh, so it doesn't fall off easy and a little extender if you want that pulls out to the side where you can put your mouse. It's just a nice little thing as you're working on vacation, as the holidays and things come up, or you're even watching movies on your laptop or things to make sure that you don't snuff out your laptop by putting it on a bed or cushions or blankets or other things where there's nowhere for that heat to go, because ultimately that could create some issues, even damage your hardware. If you have it, of course, uh, being smothered with stuff like that. So above tech portable laptop, lap desk, something you might want to check out.
1: So I, I realized that I might be starting to become more of a hardware addict because uh, this thing looks actually pretty sleek and it looks like it's not that much bigger than the laptop, which could be nice. I also am now wanting to look at a new phone. I don't I don't necessarily need a new phone. The phone is fine. But it's a Samsung phone, and we talked about how the EULA structure of the Samsung is not the best. So I'm now, gross, yeah. So now I'm considering uh, getting another phone because I don't want this one anymore. So Wendy has now finished her scavenger hunt for the best phone, and now I'm starting my own. Apparently, so this is um, this is not good for my wallet. Being on this show, as it turns out.
0: This show's terrible for everyone's wallet. Uh, Wendy makes some really interesting points about the OnePlus 9. Two frustrations she mentioned that you're going to run into, Michael, is one, in in Unity, we can all say, Apple, you suck for getting rid of all the ports and making us have to deal with dongles. But then again, we also have to say, OnePlus, you suck, and Google Pixel, you suck, because you all followed the crap that Apple started doing out there, removing headphone jacks, removing The SD, micro SD storage, all of the things that gave Android, frankly, an advantage over the Apple ecosystem, they went and followed along with. So they suck just as much, even though Apple started the trend there. To answer your question about the micro SD being removed, that is to sell, of course, cloud storage, whether it be Google Cloud or Apple in their case, right? They want you to buy that additional cloud storage, which from a privacy standpoint is terrible, but I think that's a big reason why they removed it. It's the same frustration that I had with the Pixel, even though I absolutely adore this device. I mean, it has brought me a lot of joy and appreciation for Android that frankly I had lost uh, using things like the Samsung device. But it is frustrating because no expandable micro SD storage and of course no headphone jack, which means we're back at dongle gate. So that is frustrating. So you're going to run into all of that, Michael, in your pursuit to find a good phone, which is a crappy place to be. Because we should be able to have those things.
2: It's going to eventually come down to what are the things that you value the most? What do you need the most out of your device? And that is going to help you decide which of the options out there is going to be the right one for you.
1: It's been a few years since I've been looking for a phone and it wasn't fun then. I don't expect to be fun now. And it's kind of funny how it used to be like enjoyable. You know, I remember just probably six, seven years ago when I was looking for a phone, I was excited And yeah, now it just feels like they're just making it as painful as possible.
0: The good news is that we have two really promising things happening in the mobile world that we're going to talk about later in this episode. So you may want to hold off just a little bit longer Mm. to see what these things are coming out next year that are going to blow your mind. Well, I'm looking forward to that. But before we get to that, let's talk about
1: our sponsor for today's episode, and that is Digital ocean now is the perfect time to dive into the digital ocean their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud native apps for way less money with the app platform you can build deploy scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever before using a simple intuitive interface you simply point your app platform to your github or gitlab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting Whether using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, all of this is supported on the app platform, and you don't have to do any of it for deployment. You just connect it to your GitHub or your GitLab repository and just let it do everything for you. It is so cool. And by running the app platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your, your cost significantly lower than with other products. And with their DigitalOcean app platform, they are putting it on Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a Hardware Addicts listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with a $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts.
0: So, this week, we're going to start off by introducing a lot of our listeners, I think, to a new company that you've probably maybe heard of or not heard of at all, but it definitely doesn't get the same press that Qualcomm gets typically. I wanna introduce you to a company called MediaTek. Now, Wendy, have you heard of MediaTek before?
2: I have, but it's always been in hushed words. It's not one of those names that you hear frequently, and you have to be pretty much a serious hardware addict to even get this name dropped at all.
1: I heard of this company because of a dongle that has Ethernet powered by a MediaTek thing.
0: Oh, interesting. I actually only heard of it
1: like two weeks ago because of this dongle.
0: Well, there you go. You're ahead of others in there. So MediaTek is a Taiwanese company founded back in 1997, so it's been around for a while. And like we mentioned, the company may not be as talked about as, say, Qualcomm. However, they are the biggest smartphone chipset vendor out there with a 31% market share as of Q3 2020. But they're namely focused on India and China markets. So we're here in the US and that's probably why we don't hear as much about them as other people who listen to this show around the world, maybe far more familiar with media tech than we are here in the US. And 2021 though has been a very exciting year for this company because they had an announcement of a partnership with Intel to bring 5G to PCs and overtaking Qualcomm, of course, as the largest smartphone chipset vendor. All of this happened in 2021 for them. MediaTek is considered a fabless designer, so they don't make their own processors. They kind of do the AMD is doing right now where they design them and then hand these off to companies like TSMC, uh, where they actually do the fabrication of the processors for them. That's kind of an introduction to this company, but the reason why I wanted to talk about them is that they've created the first four nanometer sock. So when we talk about the nanometers, you remember it was a big deal with Ryzen getting to seven nanometer. And then you've heard, of course, of Samsung getting to five nanometer. And now we have the first four nanometer sock here. They're calling this the MediaTek Dimensity 9000. This chip represents MediaTek's entry back into the flagships because even with the phones that they were producing, they were all kind of the lower range or mid-range phones. Now they're coming back in for the flagships in a big way. And some of the things that they've done here are a bunch of firsts. They are the first four nanometer chip. They're the first to use ARM version nine architecture. They're the first to use the LPDDR5X memory with 7,500 megabits per second support, making data near instantly available with this type of memory, the chip, that they're talking about here is going to have a really interesting layout. You're gonna have an ultra core, one ARM Cortex-X2 at 3.05 gigahertz. Then you're gonna have three super core ARM Cortex-A710s at 2.85, and then four efficiency cores. Now think about this. This is why nanometers is so important because shrinking these things down allows you a lot more room on the chip to do some interesting things. So one ultra core, Three super cores and four efficiency cores will be built into this. And I think that's pretty exciting news from a design infrastructure standpoint.
1: Yeah, this is pretty interesting. And also, you mentioned how it's a fabulous design. Uh, Is it a fabulous, fabulous design?
0: Wendy, can you put him in timeout or something? (laughs) We can't do that. We might have to
2: because, oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if that's not exciting for you, Wendy, check this out. They're saying that this flagship is gonna have an 18-bit HDR ISP design, allowing it to capture HDR video on three cameras simultaneously, while also being very power efficient in doing it. Capture an event using all different cameras, for example, wide, standard, and zoom, and then you can edit those later and pick your favorite camera that was recording at that moment to grab its video. And they're also saying that it's going to support 320 megapixel cameras for smartphones.
2: This is absolutely crazy. I love the idea of it being able to capture video from three cameras at once. Most of the high-end smartphones right now have two to three cameras on it. Whether you're out on a walk or doing all kinds of things, it would be amazing for your vlog, whatever you're doing, to be able to capture all of that video And then in post, break it in, you know, all these different options that it gives you to capturing that video at the same time. Now, when it comes to supporting a 320 megapixel camera, the first thing that I thought of when I heard this was, are they going to be making the sensor any bigger? Well, I know when it comes to CPUs, we really want them to be shrinking those cores, making them more efficient, But when it comes to a camera sensor, you can only get so much out of a teeny tiny itty bitty little light bucket. And in order for this to be a beneficial thing for it to actually make for better images on your smartphone, they have to be increasing that sensor size.
0: I know. If you look at the Google Pixel, one of the funny things is they didn't even try to hide the bump on the back of the phone. It's just a giant rectangular... entity that goes across end to end on the phone. And I feel like if you're going to have a 320 megapixel camera, the whole back going to be a giant lens, I would think at this point, which is kind of reversing the whole thing. We kind of had smartphones with a camera. Now we're going to be carrying around cameras that are we're also smart smartphones, phones. I feel like. yeah. <laughs>
2: Samsung actually did that at one point where they had a version of the phone out where the entire back of it did look like a point-and-shoot camera. We may be headed back to that. Maybe Samsung was ahead of the game with that version, and we're getting there again. But here's the thing. If you are making your phone all about the camera and putting a 320-megapixel sensor in it, go with it. Show it off. Make it bigger. Make that bump. Of course, people are going to have to know protect those lenses and the like but it seems to be more and more the market is wanting that in a smartphone if you're doing it go all the way go for it
0: it's really interesting that all the innovation has kind of moved to the camera every time you hear of a new phone and i use my camera phone obviously more than any other camera in my home but i just it doesn't excite me as much as it must some other people who i guess are just looking for having the greatest camera ever. I wanna see more innovation. Thankfully, they kind of gave us some really interesting hints at some other things that they're doing. Of course, there's plenty of room for an AI processor, but this chip is the first to rock the ARM Mali G710 MC10 graphics processor. But here's an interesting first that they mentioned here that I know you Linux folks will be interested in. It's got the industry's first ray tracing SDK using Vulkan, Android in here, which That's is kind of neat. Cool.
1: Having ray tracing inside of Android is interesting, but using Vulkan to power it is actually super exciting because there's so many pieces of Vulkan. As a software sage, I'm not going to give you full details about what Vulkan is, but it's an API for you know, displaying graphics and the pipeline for that sort of thing and it is being used. Pretty much everything is moving towards it in some degree. Even Windows is making uh, Direct3D sit on top of Vulkan as a possibility. So this sounds awesome to me, because I I think that doing something like this in Android is not something I would have expected. So very, very cool to make this a possibility. And also, that might even be why they're able to do that multi-video capture uh, approach, because uh, Vulkan allows you to have a much bigger bucket of uh, processing for that.
0: No, that's a really good point. Vulcan's been amazing. Actually, this is one of the reasons why Apple's so terrible at gaming, doing any gaming, because they went with Metal instead of going with Vulcan. I don't think Vulcan was out at the time they were making that decision.
1: They were basically like at the, the stage of doing both. They could either have gone Vulcan or gone with their own with Metal. And now, but it's still possible to do stuff inside of Mac with uh, Molten VK, which is a Vulkan translation layer for Metal.
0: So I think that's interesting. But some of the other things they're going to be able to do, 180 hertz refresh, full HD display support. So if that (laughs) 120 wasn't enough for you, Wendy, now you're going to have 180 capability right in your phone, which I don't even have. PC monitors that go that high.
2: It seems like mobile gaming is also a push for smartphones in these days. And that would be one of the advantages of going with a processor like this is being able to do much more in the gaming realm on a tiny little device.
0: It's really interesting you say that, Wendy, because in our next section, when we talk about Snapdragon, you're going to see a lot of this push for the mobile gaming realm And you said yourself, you're not a mobile gamer. I don't enjoy playing games on mobile, but then again, I'm old. So I think us old folks don't, but there must be a massive market for these games out there, or essentially they're trying to create this massive market to say, hey, ARM is where it's at, and these mobile and portable devices is gonna be where gaming is going. And so I think that will be interesting to get into. Just real quick, some other things that are exciting here is Bluetooth 5.3, Wi-Fi 6E 2x2, All of this is going to be packed into this one little chip and the rumored devices that will have the Dimensity 9000 will be the OnePlus Nord 3. So you got a OnePlus device in there. A Poco F4 GT, and these are just rumored. I've never heard of Poco, but uh, I guess it's a phone manufacturer out there. Then the Realme X9 Max and a Redmi K50 gaming phone are some of the rumored phones to get this chip in 2022.
2: I find this really interesting, especially when it comes to the OnePlus device. This is not their top of the line line. This is more their mid-range line. And it's interesting that this chip is going in there, which makes me wonder, what are their flagship devices going to have if this is what they're putting in their mid-range.
0: It's a very good point. They may be putting, this chip may be so inexpensive to manufacture that they can put it in all the lines and just ramp up some of the additional uh, pieces surrounding it, such as more memory and things on their flagship phones. But you do bring a good point that a lot of these are not considered your typical flagships. But we know what happens now with all this competition, all of this press that Apple has brought to arm, we're really seeing things heat up. And Qualcomm, we know, is wrapped up with Samsung. You don't see a Samsung mentioned here in this arm race, but Qualcomm just did drop some bombs just today that are very much going to change the entire landscape of PCs, I think, as we know it. So today they announced their new mobile chip Snapdragon 8th Gen 1 mobile platform. They're saying this is a groundbreaking platform, as they would, that's going to deliver next level AI and gameplay to transport you into realms while unleashing the power of 5G. Now, the 5G piece is really important because they kind of highlight that everywhere throughout this press, basically talking about an always-on, always-connected device. And when they talk about device here, they're talking laptops, portable game machines, and smartphones. So they're going for all the screens with this new platform that they want to power with this new Snapdragon 8th Gen. Which is really fascinating to see them come out so quickly, so so fast to bring this to market and trying to compete, of course, with what Apple's been doing with their silicon.
1: They say that they're transporting you to new realms. Are one of the, is one of the realms
0: Narnia? Um, you're gonna have oh. to go into your coat closet and see if it's Narnia. Oh, oh right, there. The, yeah, the wardrobe. You gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, wardrobe closet. That's it. I'm not familiar <laughs> with children's stories, Michael. Well, then
1: you're missing out. You're missing out.
0: Clearly. What's interesting about this is they talk about the new Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3 compute platform and the Snapdragon 7C Plus Gen 3 compute platform. I really wish they would. You know, we talk about naming a lot. I mean, that's not very exciting names.
1: 8CX and the 7C Plus. Yeah. Hopefully
0: those are just kind of uh, pre-production names. It's disappointing
1: because they have a, the, the, dev, the the model and device that they have is, is Snapdragon. That's such a good name. Like, why did they have to make it worse after the fact?
0: They could have done something a little more exciting there. Some interesting things is Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3 is stating that they're going to deliver insane performance as a first 5 nanometer chip, enabling up to 85% performance improvement over previous generations. performance improvement over previous generations and 25 hours of battery life on a single charge. And they're talking about these laptops being completely fanless.
2: I wanna know if the previous generation was that bad or these are that much better. How are they getting that 85%? And the fanless thing is absolutely amazing. That's one of the things that is driving these ARM chips is the fact that they run so much cooler, so much more efficient in many ways compared to the CPUs that are in your standard desktop and laptop, making them quieter, making them cooler, making them last possibly for 25 hours.
0: If they can get 25 hours out of these laptops, it would be absolutely insane. If they can match some of the performance or even supersede the performance of the Apple M1 chips, it would be amazing. And I would love to see it because it's just gonna make competition. Well, look what Apple's already done. We would not have had this type of race to get these ARM chips into laptops if it wasn't for what Apple had did. So in that way, I really appreciate the fact that they're kind of driving that innovation here. And what I'm seeing from both MediaTek and Qualcomm here are some really impressive designs that they are putting out there. And of course, we're gonna to have to get our hands on them and see if they're able to live up to the hype. But 25 hours of battery life is a big deal. But there's more, I mean, they're talking about all of the AI chips and everything else that they're gonna be including in these. But then they also, at the same time, announced a new gaming platform. So if you're familiar with the Steam Deck, which is a portable gaming PC that runs Linux, They are going in direct competition because it looks very similar to the Steam Deck. In fact, there's another device that also was announced recently. So everybody's kind of following Steam Deck here and trying to get their portable gaming platform out. But they're going to use, of course, this Gen 8 platform that they have in partnership with Razer. It's going to run Android. So this goes back to what you were saying, Wendy, about the fact that they're really pushing this mobile Gaming platform for people to really get excited about and and use. Unlike the Steam Deck, which uses a full PC operating system, this is going to run your mobile Android on it. But the partnership with Razer is interesting. It just raises the question where are they going to get all their games? And are they going to get some big studios to back them to get some games out there? Because one of the reasons why mobile gaming is so unexciting for me is. It just doesn't have the same level of games that you would have, say, playing on a console or a PC. You're going to have usually a stripped down version of a video game in the Android store or these games where you can only play for 30 minutes and then you got to buy $25 worth of coins to keep playing and all these type of ads and ripoff stuff that make it miserable for me to even think about mobile gaming. But they're thinking there's something here with Android and Razer to kind of build this new Uh, handheld gaming device out there and it looks pretty cool. I mean, it looks like a really nice device. It's very long, it's got a big screen in it. And of course they're using this new platform to power it. So obviously this platform's definitely got some oomph to it when it comes to performance, if they're gonna be able to pull off mobile gaming in a little setup like this.
2: I have a feeling that more advanced games are going to be coming to these mobile devices and they're definitely shooting for the younger generation. My kids like to play Minecraft on a computer, on an Xbox and on a tablet. They are very comfortable with playing these games on mobile devices and they're not even using quote unquote super great top of the line ones. They're just using crappy Amazon tablets they have running lineage. So something like this would have them all kinds of excited.
1: Well, you are talking about not doing gaming on mobile. I I do have a little bit of experience with gaming on mobile, not in the terms of like the extensive, you know, i not, I wouldn't say I'm a mobile gamer, but uh, I I actually kind of stopped and put down some of my mobile gaming uh, efforts because I realized that I might have an issue, like a little bit of a problem when I got 10 million points in Subway Surfers. At that point... Yeah, it was it was it was
0: too much. <laughs> See, Wendy, I was gonna guess for Michael. He was gonna say like Angry Birds or Fruit Ninja. I didn't expect what was it? Couch Surfer,
1: Subway Surfers, Subway Surfers. It's a yeah. it's a it, it's like one of those uh, endless running games. I like those kinds of games, and then I decided to stop playing them when I got to that level of like once you have that many points, you you've kind of gotten too far into it. I think, but I do think this is really cool that they're doing this, and I think that Android doesn't seem to be a gaming platform. Google's trying to push it as if it is, because there's a, like every time you go into the market to get an app or look for any apps, they're like, "You want to get a game? How about a game? But what about a game?" Yeah, you know, like, may, like they they've been pushing it quite a bit. But these games are so, like you said, they're kind of limiting in what they can do, and they're definitely not as as good as the PC ones, which is why. I'm interested in this product because I'm curious, like how the the partnership with Razer is going to, you know, make it uh, focused on gaming. But at the same time, the Steam Deck is way more interesting because it's actually a PC and it actually has an operating system you can use and play regular Steam games. Uh, I'm much more interested in that. But I am still uh, curious to see like what they do with this in the competitors to Steam Deck because I'm I, I just want to see the competition and see you know, how they push each other.
0: I could see with the 5G always connected, the Wi-Fi 6, the Bluetooth technologies that they're really pushing with this platform that they may be going after cloud gaming as well. So on the Android, being able to link to one of these cloud services out there and be able to play full PC games, despite the fact that you're on Android, maybe another play. Though in their actual advertising on their website, they say there are 2.5 billion mobile gamers in the world combined, mobile PC and console gamers generate $175 billion a year, and more than half of that, 90 to $120 billion, is generated from mobile games. So that leads me to believe they're not targeting the cloud, and they're going for that mobile market, that $120 billion worth of mobile market that they want to tap into. So it'll be interesting to see what they bring. Either way, I think it's innovative. I think it's going to push some boundaries. And I'm happy to see Qualcomm kind of wake up and realize that Apple's just been kind of sitting in this little realm on their own, freely being able to innovate and do what they want while nobody else is kind of able to keep up with them. And we finally have MediaTek and Qualcomm waking up and seeing if they can do something to compete. Ultimately, it's going to help everybody. Even if you're an Apple fan, Apple's going to have to up their game to make sure that they continue to stay on top. And we got ourselves a real race here. That's always good.
2: This episode of Harder Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as master passwords, adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitmorden is the password manager that I have chosen to use. I've shared it with friends and family because it's open source, you can self-host it, plus to do security audits and share that information with you. You can get a premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes in that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with Yubikey, U2F, and Duo Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support, all for just $10 per year. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts.
0: All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about the types of tripod heads for photography.
2: There really are quite a few different versions and the one that most people see the most popular one for photography is the ball head. Think about the joint for your shoulder or your hip joint, where you have a ball that sits inside of a socket and it can rotate all kinds of different ways. That's why this one is really popular because you can get your camera in just about any position you can think of. After that, you have a pan and tilt head and this really only moves in two axes. So, The ball can move in three, whereas if you're using a pan and tilt head, you can pan, so go from side to side or up and down. The nice thing about this one is it's really sturdy. The ball head, if you don't have it tightened down enough, you can start to get some slippage of your camera while it's on there. Say you are shooting birds or some wildlife photography and you're using a really, really big lens, this is where a gimbal head is going to come into play. So you've seen gimbals for cameras for doing video and the like. This also has some of that swinging movement so you can get your camera into the right position while also supporting this massive lens.
0: Now, Michael, do you remember at Southeast Linux Fest when I brought the gimbal <laughs> camera with us? Yep. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, the camera setting it up was a pain. This was a video camera uh, made by DJI, and it was a little bit of a pain to get kind of started. But once it did, you could move around and be shaky camera person, but the people watching the live video didn't see that. And that was what made the gimbal such an awesome option for video and why I'm a huge fan of it. It was a motorized gimbal, and it just really made a difference in not making people who were watching live sick as we were touring Southeast Linux.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And it also, I, re- I remember it being like you hating it for the first bit until it finally started working. Like, oh, okay, now this is awesome.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was a little it was a little pain to get set up.
2: This one, you don't have to get balanced like a different video gimbal. And I have one myself that I've used for shooting different video kind of playing with. And they can be a huge pain to set up if you're using one for video, you have to get that balance just right or you're overworking your motors or it's not sitting quite like it's supposed to. The one for your tripod is gonna be far less taxing as it'll swing back and forth so you can get the right shot, but you don't have to worry about the balance like you do on a video gimbal. Speaking of video, if you're doing both video and video, And still pictures, a fluid head might be the way to go. This is also a type of pan tilt tripod head, but at the same time, it's using hydraulic dampening to get really, really smooth movements up and down or back and forth. You can typically also adjust how much pressure is on that fluid to change how fast it's moving Can you move it really fast because you've lessened that pressure or do you have it tied down really, really well? So you're getting a very nice smooth movement across or up and down.
0: When you first said fluid head, I thought you were insulting Michael, but is this something that you would (laughs)
2: utilize? Wow,
1: wow. (laughs) Previous times, I see where you're going where this, but this time out of nowhere. I got
2: He just called you a water head.
1: He did and I did not see it coming.
0: Is this something you would use for video as well or is this only for still shots?
2: This is good for both video and still shots. It's one of those, if you're doing both, if you're doing a lot of both, especially adding video to it, a fluid head is a very, very good option. So you can get those sweeping shots while still being very stable in still images.
0: Now, one of the issues that I have, Wendy, is that my camera sits up on a stand that's connected to my desk. And if I put any weight on my desk and it shakes, it shakes the camera. Fluid head and all that stuff, really not for me. A gimbal is kind of what I would need to stabilize that regardless, correct?
2: This kind of gimbal is not like the one you're thinking of. It's not going to stabilize it in motor wise and shake your desk with any of these. Having a tripod sitting on your desk, it's still going to be moving your camera. If you need a way to stabilize the camera from getting bumps, it's going to have to be a different solution. I can't think of one right off the top of my head as it's not my normal area of expertise. But we can dive into that next week on ways to stabilize the camera that you're using as your webcam and avoid those bumps and knocks.
0: It would be awesome. Awesome.
2: Say you're spending a lot of time getting panoramic pictures. They're absolutely gorgeous. I love to see these type of images. This is where a motorized head is going to be awesome. You can set the speed, the range of motion. They are more expensive, but perfect for the panoramic time-lapse photography or video and getting that perfect look. Some of the more expensive lines, you can have them connected to an app on your phone and be able to control where it's moving and how it's moving without having to touch the stand at all. A tilt head is if you have a monopod. Monopods are absolutely fantastic if you're going hiking out in the woods and the like. They're very easy to use. They're easy to get in and out because they are not so many feet. And this will only go up and down. If you're wanting your camera to the side or different positions you have to move the monopod itself but they're very sturdy easy to use and fantastic for monopods. Then we have the pistol grip and I actually think it looks more like a hose adapter you know the sprayers where you grip it and when you're holding the handle back it sprays water that's more what I think of when I think of these ones They're also a ball tripod head, but instead of moving all of the knobs in the different positions to get the ball where you want it to be, you pull this grip back, it releases tension on the ball, you can move that camera wherever you need to go, release it, and you're already locked in position. It makes for very, very fast mm. adjustments of your camera but keeping it incredibly stable at the same time.
1: That sounds way better for the ball type. And also it sounds like a perfectly named thing to get back at Ryan's fluid head reference.
0: I'm a pistol grip?
1: What? No, I'm a pistol whip you. Oh, my, it's grip.
2: <laughs> oh, my
0: grip. Pistol whip. I
2: pistol gotcha. grip, right. not pistol whip. But I see where yeah, you're bad, going now bad. that you cleared things up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always prefer
0: a pistol grip when I'm shooting photos. <clears throat> uh,
1: oh, Get it? so Ryan does shooting? the dad jokes now. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, but if I do it. <laughs> no, it's not okay. Nice. It's not
2: okay from either one of you. But there's nothing I can do about it.
1: I applaud you, sir. <laughs> thank you. you no. You've redeemed yourself from the fluid head reference.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: We have just one more tripod head that I'm going to talk about today and this is the same as the motorized, it's perfect for panoramic type shots, not so much for video because you're doing it manually, they're much much cheaper than a motorized head but it still allows you to get that really nice stable panoramic shot. When you're doing these, you don't want the camera to move up and down. You want to keep that skyline perfect and the same. So when you're bringing those images in post-production, everything lines up really, really neat. So you're only going to be getting side to side movement. They usually have a way that you can set it at zero and control how far you are rotating your camera around. If you're doing anything with panoramas, even if it's on your cell phone, look into one of these panoramic heads. They might help you get just the right shot.
0: That's very cool. I learned a lot in this. I didn't expect this to be one of those topics that I was like really vested in, but dealing with a lot of issues and getting those shots, having tripods, having the shakiness, having to deal with the balls not being tightened enough to where... The camera moves because my Sony mirrorless is on a ball mount right now, and a lot of times it will just—if you put too much pressure—it'll fall forward or to the side, and so you've got to really tighten it. All of this, mm-hmm. all of these, are issues that I've had to deal with. And knowing there are so many different types out here gives me some hope that we can solve some of these issues that I've ran into. So thank you for that rundown, Wendy. And that's it. Our 49th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on Destination Linux Network. Head right now to DestinationLinux.network and sign up for all of the great podcasts. Subscribe to all the YouTube partners available. There is so much to fill your brains with.
2: Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow.
1: We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Hardware Addicts, where we explore all new realms of dimensity. You flew That, makes head. You, that well, I mean, I, I was expecting you to say, "Oh snap, dragon!"
0: Ah ha ha! That's good. Wendy's not saying uh, anything. Wonder she yeah. must have just. Oh, there she is. Yeah, I wonder what happened. I'm huh.
2: just throwing up a little bit. In my mouth <laughs>